in the time of Reagan and before the rise of Seagal, Snipes, and Van Damme, there was an age undreamed of. Unto this land came Arnold the Austrian. He was a barbarian, a demigod, a killer robot from the future, and he was destined to wear the crown of Hollywood upon a troubled brow. It is only his chroniclers, Mike Gillis and Casey Doran, who can tell you of his legend. This is his saga. Podcast de la Vista, baby. So, Casey. I quit the show. <laughs> this is it. We're done. You and me are done. I, 11 years doesn't mean anything. You know what? After, I, after this. I think I might be cool with that. <laughs> I, uh, I, I thought for a long time that I knew what Arnold's worst project was, but I think there's competition now. Because we, of course, are talking about season one of FUBAR, the Netflix series from the year 2023, created by Nick Santora, who has previously written an episode of The Sopranos. Uh, he's written for The Guardian, Law and Order, Prison Break. He's the co-creator of the reality show Beauty and the Geek and the drama series Breakout Kings. And he developed the Reacher series for Amazon Prime. I don't know what developed is versus created. Hmm. I don't know, but I hope it's better than this. Uh, Low bar. <laughs> I, I am befuddled. I am, my, my brain feels short-circuited. I hope maybe, Casey, you'll have an easier time at this. Casey, if you had to sum up in a paragraph or two what these eight episodes of FUBAR are about, what is this show? Okay, uh, it is a show about Arnold Schwarzenegger who plays essentially his character from True Lies. He is a spy who has his cover uh, with his normal family life, is a mundane job. He's going to retire. He has to go on one last mission, only to find out that his grown daughter is also a spy, and now they have to work together to take out... Uh, boss of all bosses. Uh, I don't remember Sosa, Bosa. What the fuck is his name? Anyways, they have to work. Sa- to, Sammy Sosa. They have to work together to take Boro. out Boro, a, a a aspiring Bond villain, and in doing so, they have to drag along their uh colorful team of of spies for uh, for the CIA, and also to help fix their relationship together. And it's. N- terrible <laughs> it's, it's, it is terrible and from, suff- from like the from like the first five minutes or so you're like oh it's this and it never it, uh, yeah, it never stops being that keep anyway. going ah so so to share the pain a little bit maybe spreading it out will make this more tolerable <laughs> no uh, we have not one <laughs> but two guests to help shoulder the burden of this episode uh joining us for the first time together in the studio uh we're joined by a pair of returning guests they're the co-hosts of the late and sadly departed hands-free football soccer podcast. Welcome back to the show, Carol and Dave Brulette. I'm not happy to be here. <laughs> I, I'm thrilled to be here, but ooh, here's the thing. my last appearance on the show was the villain, yeah. and oh, the yeah. villain was short. That, yeah, no, that was like what ninety minutes. Yeah, yeah, like a good easy eighty-five, huh? Right. This was considerably longer. This was this was almost eight hours long. It, yeah, this is a work day. <laughs> well, I will say though, I will say though, I would never have wanted to watch the villain at one point five speed. But you betcha, I watched this on one point five speed. Was that an? Off- 
stop. How shut how up. do you? It, ah! <laughs> I don't I think mean, Netflix lets you do it, it okay. but but so I have I watch it on my computer and I could do it through my the video program and I was yeah. like this is essential. I think I want my two and a half hours back. They're, 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 <laughs> if I had watched this the way that Keanu Reeves learned kung fu in the Matrix and they zapped it into his brain and it was instant, that would have been too long. Yeah, you'd still, still have to hate it in retrospect. I mean, oh, oh God, oh God! Can't you just punch me more? Oh. <laughs> Yeah, this this was real rough. This was um it was it, it's funny because and like not to get too too much of the end of the show here, but like it's when you think about an Arnold thing that was so it wanted to be an Arnold thing so bad and it missed so hard. And it's just yeah. like it makes you forget why you like Arnold. That's the thing that <laughs> I mean because it it strips out of it any of the joy that you frequently get, like we talk about Arnold having sort of a twinkle in his eye in a lot of these action movies. There's no twinkle here. There's only the obligation to fill airtime because a bunch of producers said, how do we mine nostalgia for this guy in the cheapest way possible? And it's like, I've never felt a, a TV show cut its labor cost quite like this. <laughs> it feels like it was written by AI. It feels like this is why people were on strike. It it, it does. There are so many cliches. And what's funny is it's like if there are some cliches where if they'd leaned further into them, it could have been good, better. Better. <laughs> <laughs> no, even that's it, less awful. Um, but like there there were some moments where they didn't go the direction we were expecting, where it felt like, oh my gosh, maybe an actual human being had something to do with this. And it was episode, threatening to be good. Yeah, episode three threatened to be good. We honestly thought we were gonna hate it. It's called the honey plot. This is not gonna go well. This is not gonna go well. Like it, 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 this show already has so much boomer energy, and now it's going to be about sex. Kids these days are trying to click on books, and I hate my ex-wife. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it the divorced dads it. in the audience are really strongly identified. Oh, so that's one thing I didn't mention is so he's a divorced dad who's pining for his wife. So that, that's I think that's probably oh, one of the redeeming. Actually, I'm going to rewind this for just a little bit. Um, I am like a T. Tea, pinky drinking, fart huffing snob. When it comes to watching stuff, I'm almost always like watching a movie in a foreign language, and my wife's upstairs and she's watching whatever Netflix garbage. I now understand how the other half lives. Like this, <laughs> and I and I want to say it reinforces my idea that TV shows are terrible, and even the best. Of, this, I mean, this is clearly not the worst television show because it has it's a, it's I mean, a cohesive isn't whole. It though? It's like, a cohesive whole. I think the one thing it's, it's not lacking. A, it's not terribly offensive. It just isn't good. That's the element that it's missing, that if you wanted to be truly reprehensible, it has to have repugnant politics. If it was this plus, like, MAGA bullshit, like, if this was, like, a Daily Wire original. <laughs> yeah. And then you add if this that were, to If there this, were Tim Allen in the main role, that's oh what this would be, Oh, right? my God. It's, it's yeah. like, who is it that just can't get a TV show anywhere else. Mel Gibson. Rob Schneider is the man in the chair. It's like a Kevin Sorbo. Kevin is... Sorbo, that's the one I was trying to think of. <laughs> that's what it is, but it's it's painful to watch this happen to Arnold Schwarzenegger. And it's like funny you mentioned the Honeypot episode, because I think at the heart of the show is a very confused sort of point of view, 
which is what makes it feel like it's written by AI because a human has a perspective and a point of view. So when you have an episode that is entirely based around one of the characters, in this case, you think it's Alden, who's one of the frat boys that works for this agency, who's constantly kind of playing the two old guys from the Muppet show. <laughs> I'm also really impressed that you actually remembered anyone's names. I write it down. That's the only reason why. He's the douchey guy who's kind of like face man from the A-team, but most of the time right, he sits in right. meetings and is constantly cracking jokes and making me want him dead. But um, he's supposed to be like the honeypot guy. He's going to seduce some scientist in an Eastern European country and get the secrets of the microfilm. But it turns out, oh, no. It's, it's not, not a Nika, it's Nick. <laughs> oh no, it's it's a it's a dude and he winks at him, doesn't get the response he wants. Sorry, dude's not gay. Uh who else we got? No, and can I just back up one second? That I think was the first moment where I'm like, "Oh my god, I didn't hate that decision." Yeah. Cuz we're expecting the latent homophobia. Ew, gross. Right. I can't seduce a dude. Did not go there. He's just like, "Oh, oh, it's a dude." Okay, hold up. Wink. Nope, not gay. He doesn't want this. We got to send in Lady Spy. And yeah. it's just like, I've never seen just the casual, I can roll with this bisexuality or gay for pay or like whatever it was yeah. going to be. This is, I mean, never but this is, that. we're, we're now on the, we're on the other side of the divide where, yeah, if this was an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie in 1987 or something, um, there would be a gay panic joke about the guy having to seduce another guy. Having to go through with it. Mm -hmm. It'd basically be the, the, the blue oyster gag right. from police academy like <laughs> i'm forced to dance with this guy in a leather cop outfit that kind of like just gay panic weirdness but they didn't do that they didn't do a thing where he's some like man crazy gay guy who like pulls him screaming away and like oh, okay well he's gonna be there you know the same kind of like implied rape joke that you have in all yeah. those old movies usually comedies that don't age well at all. But again, like you mentioned, there's that part where you're like, okay, this is actually a little more progressive than a lot of spy fiction, and which tends to have a lot of these kind of like sexist, racist tropes in it. And I'm like, okay, this is something in the same way that him and Rue, who I didn't know you could be a lesbian frat boy, but apparently you can, including with the sack tap bullshit. By the way, good people don't do sack taps. It's just like, like it's like all my high school bullies have a TV show. Um, right, right. But anyways, they were like basically doing the sort of sexist objectifying talk before the honeypot mission. And I'm just like, he gets called aside by Arnold's daughter who calls him out on the sort of sexist tropes. And I'm like, oh, okay, this series might have something to say about the sort of tropes that go into this sort of fiction. And I'm like, that, that could be kind of interesting where you kind of look at this stuff head on. And then you also have the fucking bullying bullshit where these characters are constantly picking on Arnold's ex-wife's boyfriend. Yeah. Really right, not because right. he's a bad guy. I mean, they, we've seen the sort of romantic rival thing before, like in True Lies, but it actually does because Arnold in this one also Which, I, I, illegally this, wiretaps an American citizen. This has to have started the life as being that forgotten um, wanted to do a True Lies series that James Cameron wanted to do. And this was announced before Pandemic, I think. Yeah. This has to be what this is because it's basically you take this, you take those characters, you give them new names, you make them sort of grow up because obviously he's older. Um, you even have Tom Arnold come back as just like a guy you can call in who's a buddy, right? Um, it's just True Lies plus they sprinkle in, you know, a half dozen other characters that, are not, that weren't in that universe at all, but yeah. but the most important part is that it's just not a spy show. It's a 
sitcom. Yeah, is what a, it is, and it's shot like a sitcom. Yeah, and it looks like a sitcom, and it's cheap like a sitcom. So, anyways, like I'm saying, there's like on one end of the spectrum, you have this stuff where we're going to call out the sexist tropes of the past with the spy fiction, and on the other hand, you have these characters constantly picking on both Arnold's ex-wife's boyfriend and particularly Carter, played by Jay Baruchel, who is um, Emma, that's Arnold's daughter, her boyfriend, her fiancé later, um, picking on him not because he's a bad guy, because he's not, but because he's not sufficiently masculine. So it's like this thing wants to be both, like, woke and toxically masculine at the same this time. This show could not figure out what masculinity was supposed to look like. No one is achieving it except apparently Arnold. End of list. Like no one else, because there's even a point where Alden, yeah, I refuse to learn names. The pretty one in the vest <laughs> um, is th- they're they're locked in the bunker later, and it's when the team falls apart, like lacks cohesion, and Arnold calls him out for dressing nice, basically oh, not masculine God. enough. Like the honeypot guy is suddenly not masculine enough because he dresses nice. Literally every male character in the show, except for Arnold, gets undercut in that way the show doesn't know what it wants to do with masculinity but also the thing where where you're talking about like it's shot like a sitcom the one note i have every single episode because i have notes for every single episode because that's who i am as a person jesus christ yep um (laughs) the one note i have is this show cannot figure out its tone no. It doesn't know if it's deathly serious, if it's going to have the bathroom conversation about actually the burden that it is to be the guy who has to have sex with strangers for the job, which is like, maybe it's Stockholm Syndrome, that it's just like, well, this isn't the 80s gay panic joke, and so now I love it. Like, <laughs> you know, um, is it going to have that level of depth, or are we going to have sack taps? Yeah, and it's constant sack taps, and it's like sack taps where we as the audience are supposed to do, laugh Do we need at to describe it. what a sack tap is for the <laughs> okay. audience? Because I did not know you what it know was. You didn't know a sack tap? I did not know what it was until uh, Fortune Femster does it 17 times. Okay, so a sack tap is something an asshole in high school does where they surprise their friend by suddenly whacking them in the nuts with their hand. Usually the back of their hand, okay, and... It's just oh and you go, oh sack tap oh, it's it's something that makes me go you know what I don't aspire to be a popular person because they seem to hate each other yeah it, it's, it's definitely the type of thing you expect out of say the Breakfast Club type of comedy not like not anything made this century yeah it's <laughs> like again the show wants to be more evolved than the past but then other times it feels like this is how Biff Tannen and his goons talk to each other yes well and and another thing like going back to the whole tone thing because it's like yeah you got the sack tap and, and you got the frat boy comedy and everything and right after the honeypot episode where the whole thing is about like seducing somebody else they follow that up with an episode about a little kid getting cancer out of right. nowhere what the yeah. heck was the leukemia it's, it's just like what the crap why are did they get triple blood in the end? There was this, it's, this kind of feels like Star Trek Into Darkness, where there's like 
sick kids at the beginning and you're like, oh my God, the stakes. And then somehow by the, in the machinations of it, by the end, they're like, miracle cure. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Mir- it all worked out. And, and the miracle cure is torture. Yes. Apparently. What, let's pretend a little bit for that we're going to have a serious conversation about torture. Okay. One, let's just, this is something I need to get out of the way. Yeah. This, <laughs> this is a show. Was, this was a, a, a big red flag yes. in the middle of this series where you're like, okay, we're, we're talking about, Something that you and I have talked about on the show a million times, like 24. Yeah. We're talking about a spy show, American spy show, where, eh, you're going to do torture eventually, right? You're going to, you just have to make peace with it. Okay. So the main characters of this show, the heroes of this show are in the Central Intelligence Agency, which I have to, like, I have to say it or I hate myself, is not the Central Intelligence Agency of the real life. Because in the CIA, in this world, is a secret organization that fights supervillains with, like, nukes and suitcases and you know they're constantly battling against blah 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 in real life the cia is an organization that overthrows leftist governments in the global south on behalf of american corporations that kills nuns and labor organizers and basically uh, foments coups in countries that have economics that we don't like don't that's forget, basically it don't forget teaching dictators how to torture people you know how captain and the winter soldier had the terrorist keeps murdering the people she's stealing medical supplies from because otherwise she'd be the hero yes. because she absolutely <laughs> has a point i feel like that's what this show did this guy is executing the people who betray him on stage in front of live band because if he was not this bond villain he'd probably be the good guy he'd probably have yeah. a point yeah that's the thing is that overall he, even he has this confused ideology behind it because when you first meet boro played by gabriel luna who is also wasted in this series this is a, something he i'm gonna did say his best <laughs> i'm gonna say this a lot the phrase wasted in this series <laughs> at least three more times everyone's effort um Gabriel Gabriel Luna's character Boro is introduced at this compound in Guiana. You might recognize it because they're clearly alluding to a compound in Guiana, clearly Jonestown. Right, right, right. That he seems to be a cult leader, that he has a bunch of guys who are like family to him, that all the farm workers and the people who are doing chores are also hired killers. And they're all unstoppable murder machines. And they're fiercely loyal to him. And he'll kill anyone who isn't like family to him. Well, but but also what I found... But really- he's also like a fucking arms dealer yeah, who I- only cares about money and will sell anything to the for the highest this so is what the- is it do you have a cause that you fight for or are you just a generic supervillain? because the minute they leave that compound in Guiana you never see any of those people again he just has a random selection of goons that hang out with him he has the one lieutenant who comes back at the poker game yeah that's it Aside from that one guy, you never see any of his henchmen again. There's never that question of, oh, I will have absolute loyalty for everyone. They even make a big deal out of it in the first episode he's introduced, where he has a guy killed at a party, which, by the way, is going to bring down the vibe. (laughs) Um, Also, that band is not going to play as well now that you've splattered their brains on them. That's part of the tone issue, is because it's like, it's supposed to be this like, Whoopsie doodle, Arnold just found out his daughter's also in the CIA. Uh-oh, slide wow. whistle. <laughs> like, And then he straight up murders a dude on stage and you see the guitarist in that band with like blood spatter on his face having this, oh God, I'm going to die tonight moment. And it's like, what show are we watching? Yeah. 
Well, the, and it's funny because the the show never gets to that level ever again, right? No. The what the the bad guy Boro is sort of you know he's the he's the best kind of Bond villain in that he's always escaping and he's always on the on the knife's edge. He gets caught on purpose, like that sort of stuff. But it never is that darkly sort of grotesque because it just ends up becoming light and goofy. And by the time you get to, you know, torture in the fourth episode or whatever, it's like Tom Arnold playing torture for for laughs, yeah. which is so macabre and grotesque that I just, I couldn't stomach it. It was just It felt awful. like they were just covering their own ass by pretending that the CIA operatives would actually be morally conflicted about torture, where instead this would take three seconds of conversation, which is just, how do we get around this legally? And then we'll spend the rest of this scene arguing about where we're going to lunch. Well, I think one of the other things, like, there is, okay, so if you want to really dig into some of the concepts here that they're playing with, you could make a really dark comedy. Like it'd be like, it'd be brutal and it'd be tough to watch, but I think you could make a really dark comedy with concepts. Like the reason Tom Arnold tortures this guy is because he is the matching bo bone marrow donor for this little girl with, who has cancer. Arnold's granddaughter. Arnold's granddaughter who doesn't, and he doesn't want to uh, actually donate his bone marrow. So they literally tie him to a chair and take it from him. And so like, you could have a dark comedy of like, how do these guys get the, walk into a hospital? It's like, we have some bone marrow. Wait, where the fuck did you get bone? It's, in a, don't ask bag. Bag. it's yeah. a match. I promise. Don't ask it. Like you could build a really dark, hilarious scene and you could build an entire show of moments like that with the basic plot you have here. But once again, they had no idea what tone that they were going for. They had no idea how to keep a consistent tone. And going back to what you said earlier, Mike, very specifically, is this show, the reason why this show really fails, why why this show, and this is not hyperbole, Carol and I were having a conversation of, would we rather watch this or NCIS? <laughs> like, it's that bad. Yeah. And the reason it's that bad is because, as you you said the line, they don't have anything to say. Yeah. They don't, they bring in topics as if they're going to, they bring in topics like they bring in like a lot, a lot of like parenthood and family and like having a father missing, but they never actually really address it in any meaningful, any no. concrete way. No. They don't address like the effect of torture in any concrete way. They don't affect arms dealers and you know, what happens to the child of an arms dealer that you killed earlier in your career when he comes back, they, they dance around these issues and then walk away as a, see, we had a point. We were thoughtful. We dealt with, but they didn't actually do anything. There's nothing concrete that the show has to say about anything. I mean, I think the I think the really the biggest crime is that the humor is so rote. Yeah, um, is that there is that there was a I think the the my one out loud chuckle was the first episode where Arnold Schwarzenegger says something like it smells like donkey balls in here. Yes, and that was only funny because I'm just imagining him imagining his own donkey because he knows how his donkey's balls smell. <laughs> obviously, that was the what was funny to me. The rest of it, it's like. It's like predictable, predictable uh, sitcoms, like, you know, 21st century sitcom humor. It's got some like spy tropes in it, but it's got all of this like soap opera, four quadrant soap opera stuff yeah. that is just like so it, boring. It's like they found 
a copy of a copy of a copy of a Joss Whedon script in right. the back of the fridge, and right. they microwaved it real fast. <laughs> and it's just so bad. I mean, it's remarks like, oh, my God, they've got more issues than Sports Illustrated. And it's like, right. you know, and boy, are my arms tired. And it's it's just so <laughs> fucking deal bad. deal with airline food, yeah. And it's like, and then I, I, it, the show threatens to make me like Barry, and then he makes a, a pop culture reference that's like straight out of the Big Bang Theory all the time, where it's, it does a thing that I hate, which is you make the pop culture reference, and then you like cite your source at the end of it, where you're like, oh, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Spock, Star Trek Two. And, and I'm like, you don't need to say that. There's no citations well, at no, the end of this episode. They had to say that because this show has no respect for nerds. Yeah. At right. They all. just they just include the nerd character because they know there's a demographic like myself who grew as a nerd in the 80s, grew up watching Arnold movies. And so, like I said, four quadrant shit. You have to have a character that is like uh, the ro- the ro- romantically conflicted woman. You have to have the nerd. You have to have the divorced dad guy. You've just got to throw them all. You got to have the the queer other character or whatever, the jokester character. You got to throw all that in the soup, mix it up, and then spit out like some melodrama. No, but it's worse than that because they don't have the nerd in there for the four of us in this room. And you know how I know that? Because they treated Barry like the Fast and the Furious treats Tyrese. Yeah. <laughs> he is right. the butt of Every joke. He yeah. gets zero respect from anyone ever. It's part of the bullying, too, because it is. the fact that he's a nerd is just another reason that he can be made fun of for not being sufficiently masculine. Mm-hmm. And again, the show, again, it wants to be performatively woke to sort of cover its ass against criticism. But what it really believes is that that guy's a pussy because he can't fix his own car. Yeah. I mean, and that's what they do. Like, the character of Carter is constantly picked on. Carter was the best. He deserves so much better. Jay Baruchel is a delightful presence on screen. He's great in the, like, How to Train Your Dragon series. I right. love Jay Baruchel. And he's, it's like gentle kindergarten teacher that is dating a spy without knowing it. He's the sweetest guy in the world. He likes antiquing and watching television with her and probably wearing a Snuggie. And I have to imagine, like, I understand why she would be attracted to a guy like that because she spends all of her work life probably being surrounded by the most toxic, hateful, psycho killers that you could possibly imagine. And this guy is probably such a fucking relief to be different. And he's sweet and he's understanding and Arnold can't stand him for no fucking good reason. He's constantly picking on this guy because he doesn't do enough rip curls or whatever the fuck, that he doesn't fix his own car, that his hobbies aren't sufficiently macho enough. I just, I don't understand it. So Carter was bad. For me, the absolute nadir. The worst moment of this series when it comes to the bullying, um, all, the whole torture thing, the bone marrow situation, actually not episode four, it's episode five. And there is a point. Are you a FUBAR scholar now? <laughs> the world's foremost she scholar. Is, she, has put, she has put more more thought into this than anyone ever should ever again. So Certainly the writers. Yes. I, I could rewrite this and make an adequate show. I could. You know how I would? Is I would take this whole child with leukemia thing. You know who's the bone marrow donor? Boro. Yeah. There you go. It's so easy. And then it ties in with the rest of the plot. And then you have an actual, it, it, it could be way less bad. 
I'm just and it, I mean, you could do a thing where yeah. he's taken to like a government hospital and he's in a coma because he was in an explosion. And while giving him CPR or taking his blood and taking care of him, they look at a thing. Oh, oh, shit. This guy's a donor. And they have to break into their own government hospital mm-hmm. with a torturer and take this stuff Excellent. out of him. Excellent. That's weird. Right. Excellent. And also it makes the whole bone marrow thing matter because explain to me what is the outcome of that side plot? Why does it matter? Why is it there? I think it's just an excuse to have Tom Arnold on the show, but not part of the plot. It's very possible. Um, That's just so bad. But it's also the worst part is so Kyle or Kevin or Kirk or whatever. The the guy who's actually the bone marrow match shows up at the house and he's going to extort this family. I want. $150,000, $150,000, whatever it is. And the the father of this child, stepfather, whatever, I don't care, the dad of this child who is dying, who is at the mercy of this monster who shows up with a number and asks for money before he'll... And, and he just, he's sort of like freaking out a little bit. He's got a lot of anxiety about it. And so at some point he leaves the room and Arnold says some word in Austrian and the subtitle says sissy. sissy. Yeah. And I like yeah. paused and it was like, did he just call this grieving parent a sissy? It's yeah. the worst thing I have ever seen on television. Yeah. And from a fucking absentee father too. Oh, you're, oh, it's worse. Yeah. That he show he doesn't show up for fucking anything, and he still has the fucking balls to criticize anyone else's because he doesn't act like he does. He gets at he gets angry at someone like say Donnie because Donnie isn't John McClane. Poor I poor I love this guy. He played Davis David Wallace on The Office, so he's a he's a fun screen presence, but he's constantly picked on for no reason, and it's not like the sort of romantic rival he had in Jingle All the Way, which was Phil Hartman's character. Phil Hartman's character is a manipulative lying. Creep. He's a guy who takes advantage of lonely single moms by being always there to fix uh, your porch or something, but he's really trying to get in your pants, and he's trying to get into your neighbor's pants, and your neighbor's neighbor's pants, and he's trying to lie to and manipulate Arnold's wife to get into bed with her. That's why Arnold hates him, because Arnold can see he's a phony. He doesn't hate him because he's insufficiently macho. And see, another writing fix that would make this show less bad, Donnie's actually some sort of Russian agent. Yeah, sure. This is so easy. But it's that moment where Arnold calls a grieving parent a sissy, I think is probably the key. Deplorable. It's deplorable. And it's probably the best evidence we have that this was not written by a human being. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we should take a step back and look at Arnold's character. So to me, the interesting part, and one of the things that just doesn't work dramatically for me is his, um, his central core issue is that um, his wife divorced him because he was distant, because basically the life that he had to live for 40 years being a spy and lying to his whole family about why he wasn't there meant that he became emotionally distant with the woman who he loves, and they step all over themselves to talk about, he's never loved her, there's never been a day since they've met that he hasn't loved her, and he wants her back and all of this sort of thing. Is this also made by the divorce dad lobby? It's got to be. (laughs) They're but, a powerful but, lobby but this, on this The thing show. at the center of it is, is once Arnold gets, once once we start getting into adventures and we understand it, he's like, well, I'm going to do the true lies thing and I'm going to start like wiretapping my ex-wife's boyfriend and I'm going to do all these machinations to try to get him back. They don't ever, even even, even though they try to, to pay this off at the end when she's going to marry the other guy, the idea, the idea that 
no matter how 40 years of heinous lies that he would have done is still surmountable because his love is that powerful. And you're like, I don't I don't believe it. If it was the, so fucking powerful, he would have taken time off from work and gotten right. a desk job. It, it yeah, if it, it it's not believable. Excuses. I, I don't want her I don't want her to take him back because you're like, well that seems pretty inexcusable. It seems like you should the wife should be able to do whatever she wants now and not be chained to yet more lies. And she starts cheating with Arnold on Donnie, who again hasn't done anything wrong. Better. And we're yeah. supposed to root for Arnold in this. So the other thing is when you look at how Arnold won her back, I hope you can hear the scare quotes in that. <laughs> um it's it's this big date, you know, I'm gonna take you to the Ritz and we're gonna go see this show and we're gonna go dancing, big dinner, all of that. And it's like this man, I am certain, was excellent at the grand gesture and really bad at the day-to-day right. grunt work yeah. of relationships. Right. And the fact that she is written to be dumb enough that one more grand gesture at the 13th, not the 11th, it's pastime, the 13th hour is enough to win her back. Like, to some extent, it's like, I mean, kind of deserve it. Like... <laughs> value yourself <laughs> and the crazy thing is you look at that character arc and that storyline and it's him wanting to win her back and then suddenly it kind of works because it's grand gesture in stupid trashy writing that's actually enough of a story arc i look at the story arc with the son the one he called a sissy who that wasn't the only bad moment he treated that son like crap the entire time the son has this app that he's really excited about his and Arnold just treats him like crap tells him to his face he's an idiot Tells him his app is stupid. Tells him his app is stupid. Everything his son wants to do, he just kind of cuts him down, basically tells him he's worthless the entire show. And then one moment, he's like, hey, your app actually did something for me. I'm proud of you. And it's like- Because he used it during a spy mission. Right. And it was like- a full 180 with no buildup, no nothing. thanks, and Dad. This son, means so much to me. Yeah, <laughs> a better show would have his son go, yeah, that's not enough. Take your fucking money and walk out the door. I'm glad you're happy with it. Yeah. Goodbye. Also deserved better. Right? Everyone needs to divorce him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, I, it's like the delusion of the divorced dude who did nothing wrong, except not be there ever for his family when they absolutely needed him. There is a moment in the first episode before it's revealed that Emma is also in the CIA where Arnold gets her like a stand mixer and they're talking about these like Monday night bake-offs they're going to do and he's really excited and then he has to run off and do something I forget doesn't matter and the mom comes up and says i told him you really wanted the the xyz the other thing and emma just gets this like oh gosh look on her face and it's like it's okay he tries so hard and that's what matters 100 percent the divorce dad's <laughs> right. lobby right, oh. right. <laughs> and don't worry she lies for a living yeah so i mean well and that's what's funny is i definitely have like somewhere in episode two is it's like wait, has he been a neglectful father this whole time? Or is it that he tries his best and that's what matters? And it really took a long time to sort of undo. Oh, that original introduction to his character was a lie. I didn't pick that up the first time because they're bad writers. Yeah, <laughs> they don't know what the thought the the, the theme of their show is. This I, I also they undermine it all the time because they want him to be the spy. They I, want him to be the badass. I don't think he. Up. This is the thing: is I don't think he can. I don't think you can if you are not willing to make Arnold despicable. He he can't both be the badass spy 
who uh a, a, and be and be worthy of redemption. No, watch I don't think me. he. I don't think he can. I can do this. Okay, script doctor. Yep, <laughs> script I should. Doctor I Carol. should. My first degree before I studied botany was in creative writing, and apparently it was good enough for this nonsense. <laughs> um, uh, have Emma's relationship with him strained at the beginning? Like maybe the wife is still like, okay, he tried. He wasn't that good of a husband, but he tried. But strained relationships with both of the children. When he goes into the field and discovers that Emma's also a CIA agent and the two of them have to work together and communicate effectively and understand and empathize with each other for the first time in her life. And suddenly he's like, oh my gosh, this is what it means to be a dad. And so he also tries to work on things with his son. And so he is actually redeemable because because once all the lies are like sort of pushed out, once he can sort of recognize who his family is and what they, it's so easy. <laughs> <laughs> I no, I uh, the reason why I think that if it weren't if it weren't Arnold Schwarzenegger, it probably if you could make the character more despicable, right? I th- this there's, there's a problem too because the this whole entire endeavor is based on the foundation that we love Arnold Schwarzenegger, that we are familiar with his type of humor. I mean, there are characters doing Arnold impersonations with an Arnold puppet. So like, <laughs> my God. It, it, is, it assumes... A, it adding is, to my list of what's wasted in this show, the brilliant Scott Thompson. Yes. Uh, <laughs> they, that it's it's trading on, just on the fact that he's beloved, right? That Arnold is actually beloved. So... You kind of have to sort of graft on like, well, he needs to have some conflict and the conflict has to do about his lying, but that's the consequence of him being the hero that he is. The problem is, is he's never, he's never treated despicable enough and he is not very heroic. He doesn't, he doesn't seem very heroic in the way that a John Matrix seems, seems heroic. So it just never resolves that schism in the character and therefore wastes the talent of Arnold Schwarzenegger, who like... I, he's doing about as good as 70-whatever-year-old Arnold could possibly do in this. And that's a part of it I can't blame him for because Arnold Schwarzenegger is like 74 years old and he's in an action story and I know he can't physically do the stuff that he did in the 80s and 90s. And I can't blame them for that. But that said, the action in this series is fucking terrible. No, it's awful. Yeah. It's, it's like You want to know what an action sequence looks like in FUBAR? It's a shitty, flat, medium shot of a bunch of the good guys standing on the left side of the screen firing machine guns. Then it's cutting over to another shot of a bunch of bad guys, rando bad guys standing on the right side of the screen. One of them gets shot with a fake looking CGI squib and falls down. Then it cuts back to another shot of the good guys on the left side of the screen firing to the right. And occasionally one of them gets behind a tree. (laughs) Um, Emma did some... I don't know, might have been good martial arts, but someone kept dropping the camera so you couldn't tell. Yeah, it's like (laughs) you actually have to be a good cinematographer in an action movie. You need to have great choreography in an action movie because your actors can't hold that all up themselves. And that's the part that I, I just get, which is what could this series have been if instead of just being an empty producer-driven nostalgia piece, what if this had been like the reunion of Arnold Schwarzenegger and one of the action directors from his past? It's not James Cameron. They're not going right. to get James Cameron. Of course not. But I mean, like, what if they got like Rennie Harlan or John Woo? John Woo just made a movie last year. That guy can still shoot an incredibly cool-looking action sequence. Right. Right. So we can do that still. So why didn't you get somebody who can make action look good? Because if you don't make action look good, you can actually make spies and supervillains in a machine 
machine gun fight boring. You know what? <laughs> you know, I know that because not only did FUBAR find a way, they found like five different ways it's, to make it boring. It's like in Daredevil when in like season two and a half, the ninjas show up and ruin everything, which is not a sentence that should ever be said. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I should never be able to say the show got oh. bad once the ninjas showed up. That's terrible. You did something really wrong there and that was that show. But You can make for, action with a low budget. For, for, and here, I, I also just in general have a thing like when I was watching the Arnold fight scenes there, and there were two where he was actually like throwing punches and so many quick cuts. And it's so clear. He is just standing in space while some uh, stunt man is moving around him, making him look as good as he possibly could. It just doesn't work. And what I couldn't help but think of was like all these Liam Neeson action movies. And it's like, stop trying to make 60 year olds look like action stars. They can't move. And we know that. And it's fine. Like he doesn't need to be, and actually, there's other ways to utilize a 60-year-old. Like, Liam Neeson, you could use in other things, and he's great. You know why? Because I've seen him in other things, and he's great. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger can be in other things, and he could be great. He can do comedy. He can do charm. He can do a lot of stuff. He doesn't just have to be action anymore. And the fact that they're trying to force that in, and it just, it just takes me out. Because instead of watching a show about a spy who's in a sort of like a terrorizing situation, what I'm seeing is, oh, man, he doesn't look good. It's like Arnold's when your dog gets really old and you have to watch him try to get up the stairs. Yeah, it's just it's uh, hard. It's hard to watch this man. Like, it's just, oh, don't do not do it anymore. Another I, writing fix? Yeah. Don't make Arnold the CIA agent. Make yeah. his wife the CIA oh, agent. And go. Arnold's just the house husband. Hilarious. You can On do some cool stuff. On a meta level. Or, or you, if you want to have Arnold be a spy, have him not be the guy in the field. He's not James Bond. He's Nick Fury. That what if suddenly he has retired and taken a desk job and his new job is ahead of the agency. And now suddenly um, his daughter realizes that her new boss is her <gasps> dad. Excellent. So easy. And he's constantly <laughs> taking her out of dangerous situations because he's like a helicopter parent. Which is what they tried to do in this one. I'm the senior officer. Like, it's just, they kept doing that, but it would be better if he actually had, like, the authority to do that and not, like, a whole bunch of other people who could push back and say, sorry, man, this is wrong. You need to trust your daughter on this. Like, yeah. if he, oh, that, that and I, I'd watch that. I know it's totally ripping off Archer now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> Fine. Yeah. But yeah. at least Archer is something, you know? Look, they tried to rip off Archer a couple of times. Did you see the sign about the ants in the break room? Oh, God. Really? Yeah. I didn't oh, see God. that. It's, it's not even funny. It's not even a that's how you get ants. But there's a sign about, like, close the sugar containers because we don't want ants in the CIA break room. They were trying to pay homage to Archer, I, I, and yeah. they I failed. I had this, this thought as I was like... Um, this is probably why I would be a terrible screenwriter like the screenwriters of this show is that I would probably just be like, what can I, what little line can I steal from this one piece of, of, of sort of cultural knowledge that this audience would likely share? And this other thing, and this other thing, and it's just sort of this cafeteria thing that you just pick and then put into a big salad or whatever, but it's, it's a disgusting salad at the end. It's not interesting and it's not funny. Um, 
We need writers that come from some other universe other than people who've just grown up watching movies. Yeah. This is it's a the the, the result of it, the pastiche stuff where it's just take all this stuff and put it in a blender is awful it's and not pop culture nonsense. It's garbage. The trick is you can't take the lines, you can't take the quips. You have to take the concepts. You can do really interesting things with relationships and situations over and over and over again, but it's the line, it's the meme, it's the bumper sticker that everyone wants to see again. Yeah. I have a proposal. Okay. We could probably talk all night about how bad this is. I have pages and pages of how bad this is. Are you prepared to talk about the four places they got it right? Uh, I have I have exactly four notes about the things that I like about this. Okay. I have one. Oh. I have one. Go, go first, it's, Mike. It's Mike. okay. If you want me to get it out of the yeah, way? Yeah, you go first. I kind of liked the cuckold joke. I did <laughs> like it a lot. It was, I'm going to say on the record, I want it stated on the record that I did not laugh, but I chuckled. The idea that Arnold keeps talking about Donnie and cuckolding him, cuckolding my whole family. Um, and and Barry keeps saying, you know, I, I don't think you should use that word. I think it means a very different thing on the internet. And then finally, at the very end, he goes to Barry, he's like, yeah, I, I looked up that word and I'm sorry. I mean, I kind of like that joke. That's the only one. Okay, mine is the fact that his last name is Bruner. I like that they just embrace the fact that he's an American, but he's like got an accent and he's got a weird last name. It's always better, always better in an Arnold movie. Donkey Balls, which I've already talked about. Scott Thompson getting work, which I'm just like, I love that guy. Anyone from Kids in the Hall who shows up, I'm glad they get work. And then the fourth thing, and then it's the it's the cheesiest, lamest thing, and it's definitely part of the uh, divorce dad lobby aspect to this character is i like grampy arnold i like that there's maybe two moments two moments where it's like it's grandpa arnold and he's just happy to be there in the room with his grandchild and they don't of course they they just mine that for that torture plot or whatever that's basically that all it is those are the four things that i like everything else you could throw it in the bin Okay. Carol? I have two that I can think of right now. I also have notes I can flip through and find others. Um, <laughs> but I'll leave some for Is this going to be the core of uh, Fubarpedia? <laughs> <laughs> ah, no, it doesn't deserve it. Um, uh, the boat name, Tally Ho, is really funny. <laughs> Tally Ho, yes. Tally, Tally is Arnold's ex-wife name, and he gets the boat that he's going to woo her on and names it Tally Ho because English is not his first language, and that's very funny to me. Um, and then the second one is like not so much a funny joke, but the really heartfelt when Alden is talking to Emma in the bathroom at the bar because they have to switch and she has to seduce the guy. And he's talking about the burden of being the honeypot guy and about sort of like drawing the emotional boundaries and about like, you don't actually have to go do this. We can find another way. And it's like, it is the most vulnerable and interesting the show ever got. It's the mm -hmm. closest it got to saying something real. Um, and if the rest of the show had been like that, I might have liked it, but it lasted two minutes. Yeah. What do you got? Okay. I got two. Um, one of them is more of a concept that they did well and then kind of tailed off. The other one, there's a very specific moment going back to Barry, the fiance. who uh, Carter's the fiance. Carter. That's one. Going back to Carter. And the fact that they gave Carter the moment to break up with Emma. 
I actually really like that because this show I didn't think would have the guts to make the whiny kind of little, you know, the way they were presenting him as the bullied, the kindergarten teacher, the weakling, the effeminate. The fact that he's just like, I don't trust you anymore. And she's like, look, I know I screwed up, but I made the decision. And he's like, that's great, but I can't do this. And she's like, are you breaking up with me? He's like, I just did. And he walks out the door and we're like, holy crap, go bury. The fact that they gave- Carter. <laughs> these names, as you said, these names are not You're worth thinking remembering. You're of the wrong nerd. Hiccup. Yeah. But, <laughs> hiccup, hiccup, exactly. But the fact that they gave the writers, the AI that wrote this, gave, <laughs> uh, gave the, um, gave Carter that moment of like, no, he is, yeah. he is dignified. He has worth, self-worth, and he is better than this and deserves better this, and he can recognize that, and he's going to be the one to walk away. I want I, I want him to divorce not only her but I want him to divorce this show. Right, exactly. <laughs> Walk off set, say grab some crafty on your way out and don't come back for the finale cuz it was dumb. <laughs> anyway, so the other thing I really liked that I thought was really good. Carol and I talk a lot about one of the things one of the fun tropes in Bond movies and there was a whole lot of Bond references in this. Right. Um Bond movies always start out with the climax of the previous mission that you don't really know anything about you just right. like he's in the middle of some giant action scene and for the first three episodes what they did was they did the bond moment but they, then the end episode ended with a cliffhanger that turned into the set piece action scene to start the next episode. So you had the Bond moment, but the Bond moment was the conclusion of the last episode. And I thought that's actually a trope that I really like. And they didn't do it well because their action scenes were terrible and the writing was terrible. But the very concept of like, let's start every show like a Bond movie with a big action set piece. But that is the conclusion of the cliffhanger that we left left the last episode sure. on. Someone could take that concept. Someone should take that concept and use it really effectively because I think that would be a great way to sort of like bring a lot of joy and fun into an action-based TV show. They did it really good for the first half of the show. And then the end of episode four is they busted the Great Dane out of prison so he can help set up the meat, blah, 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 whatever. But he overhears them talking about changing the deal. We're going to send him back to jail. And so he escapes out the bathroom. And then suddenly it's like, oh, no, we've got a ticking clock. Barry's in a Turkish prison our contact has disappeared boro's gonna know what's up bum 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 continue and then the beginning of episode five is the great dane comes back with a teddy bear and says you know i thought about it this isn't any sort of life for my kid i'll help you and then i'll go back to prison that is not the beginning of a Bond movie. Sure. You, don't, you also don't have anything in the show change his mind. His mind is changed off camera. Yes. Right. Because we gave you a cliffhanger and then had the cliffhanger correct itself. Okay. So so is this, is the, is the, in, the entire conception of this show, is this, to me, it seems like it's this further, I don't even know how you, the serialization or something. The idea that now we don't, um, th- things that could, ideas that could be great beginning, middle, end stories as a movie, if they, because Netflix doesn't, is not a box office thing, they don't want to just get a bunch of money for these certain weekends or whatever. They want to like, have you click, you know, have you watching minutes. Is this an idea that really was just a two hour, two and a half hour movie? Yes. Uh, Because it, it is a intolerably long arc for this story and so much of the middle of it is so boring. I have so laid over in airports for this long 
and I was less unhappy doing that. You can do people watching in airports. I know. At least there's some screens I can look at. I can look at my phone. I can hang around the bookstore. Go to a bar, talk to strangers. Yeah. It's it's this, uh, and and this is like part of my, I'm the the fart huffing snob or whatever. Is this, correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't watch any, other people in my house watch Netflix and Amazon Prime stuff. Watch that stuff. Is this just like, the standard for what television no. is now? Okay. No, this is remarkably bad. Okay, okay. To me, that seems like this the central thing that the the streaming model does is it makes you stretch out the stories because you want to take a few good core ideas, but you need to it needs to last more than two episodes. So you know, y- yes, yes, but no. I think that there are people who write for movies and people who write for TV. This was. AI who writes for movies being forced to make a TV show, which is why it feels stretched. But there are plenty of stories on Netflix where it's clearly TV writers have enough to say and then they get canceled after the second season because right. Netflix doesn't want to pay them. Right. Um, Speaking Cowboy of which, Bebop. I got some bad news. <laughs> Uh-oh. I know there's a second se- uh, season. No! We will not be watching it. You have fun with that. <laughs> We're going to send Tom Arnold to kidnap you guys. <laughs> He can do his best. I'm not watching. This. I can take Tom Arnold. <laughs> for, for Actually, like a, we can. He's like Mike, for like 70? A sh- for like a show level discussion here. I don't. I don't know if I can handle season doing a show on season two. <laughs> Is this going to be us? Maybe with we- those like the Clockwork Orange eyeball clips. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is bad. I mean, I saw the announcement of season two, and I honestly felt like my heart die a little bit. Yeah, it was just see. Yeah, same, but it wasn't just die a little bit. It's like, how, though? I know this show got watched four times, and we're sitting here talking about it. Like, who liked this? Yeah, I, ca- I can't. I cannot imagine someone actually wanting to sit through, uh, making it through all of them. I can't. I don't because know it's what's not going that on interesting. With... It's not that interesting. Like, Netflix is weird. Like, they tell you all sorts of things are the most popular show they've ever had, like Red Notice, which is, it's a garbage, unmemorable movie. Nobody remembers anything about it. Can anybody anywhere, I don't even think Dwayne Johnson knows the name of his character in that movie. But I mean, yeah, I it's just apparently know that it, the I biggest know that it was a movie that had Ryan Reynolds, uh, Gal Gadot, and uh, Dwayne Johnson playing themselves. That's that's all that I remember from the movie. The only thing I can think of is this must have been just just left on in a lot of houses while people were vacuuming and right. doing their taxes and literally everything that's more interesting than watching this I'd movie. rather be alone with my thoughts. Yeah. Like, I just... do, do you remember when Netflix, the biggest thing they were announcing that it was going to be the hugest thing was Bright? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Has anyone thought about Bright? I it... did because I just watched Lindsay Ellis' video essay about that on YouTube and it is devastating. It's, it's bad. You know what's really sadder? Bright is better than Fubar. <laughs> this is true. This I believe is totally it. True. It's it, also not eight hours long. Oh, that that alone makes it better. <laughs> well, that's the thing with this also yeah. being stretched this long, which is that this this TV show had a budget. You had Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, if you it had a budget, but it looks like sci-fi sci-fi TV show sets. This some sci-fi of the action sets. sequences would have been impressive if a YouTuber did no, them. No, I'd call it like USA level. Okay, like, I, agreed, agreed. Yeah. Yes. It's bad. So I would just say, you know, how much better would all of this look if you just used that same amount of money to do a two hour movie? You brought an actual action director on board, say, hey, this is our premise for a movie. Would you like to do this? Let's get a let's let's really get some people in on this and say, we're going to condense all this movie so that we can actually make some quality with the 
the resources that we have rather than stretch it across. Uh, they clearly don't have the writing chops to fill eight hours. So why not just cut out like half of the characters, get it down to Arnold, Emma, probably Barry as a side character, Carter, uh, Arnold's ex-wife. I mean, you just get it down much, much, much smaller and actually play with those themes that actually worked in this. Have some serious moments. Have it be a story about Arnold learning that he has he was rightfully divorced and that he needs to move on with his life and he shouldn't hold a torch for his, his ex anymore because that situation is entirely his fault. And then by his example, Emma has to learn something about how she's going to live her life going forward and decide, is she going to be a spy or in the way that she is now, like her father was, or is she going to be in a relationship with Carter? And she needs to make a serious decision about that. Because she can't really have both. Because it's just going to be some long-suffering, lonely person that you're occasionally there for with the big gestures. And other, otherwise is just missing you in all these other aspects of their life. This show is very easy to rewrite. Oh. Any change makes it better. So I guess that leads us to the two big questions that oh, we God. have. Do we need to ask them? I, I know we don't have to. <laughs> but I need you to ask me at least one of them because I have okay. a very interesting answer. But I guess that gets us. Uh, is Fubar a good TV show? No. No. Um, Fubar is, and I think we've picked it apart enough, but I think the real core thing that I go back to is that it doesn't have anything to say. Like it wa it wants to pretend like it does. It has talks about like, you know, family dynamics, nature of nuclear weapons, terrorism. This is the discussion we had about Terminator Dark Side of the Moon. <laughs> Dark Fate, whatever. <laughs> about how it wants credit for saying things that it doesn't actually say. No, but yeah, it, it, it wants to pretend like it was saying exactly that. It, is it Gabriel Luna? Is that the problem? Is Gabriel Luna pulling out any real... No, he can be good. I know he is. I'm Gabriel, Gabriel Luna deserves so much better than this. He is, absolutely does. But yeah, it's just this the show, it's long, it's it's bloated, it has too many characters, it doesn't it doesn't know its tone. It is constantly swinging back from frat boy humor to action movie to weird like cancer drama to and right. without and like it, you get whiplash from the changes in emotional tone from scene to scene and it's just it's just dreadful to watch. So no, it's not a good not a good show. By the end of the second episode I wrote something down in my notes. I said, if this was a movie, it would be over by now. <laughs> and every time I paused to go to the bathroom to just see how far along I was, it was always not far enough. Mm -hmm. It was always like 35 minutes are left. That was only 15 minutes <laughs> I just watched. Oh, and I would just... Oh. I'm on episode three. It would be that over and over and over again. And what I think what gets me more than anything is that this show didn't have to be bad. What if this show had instead decided to be not just a nostalgia bit for Arnold, but a nostalgia bit for somebody else in his career? And I'd say, if you want to get a writer who knows how to do fun stuff, get his, his holiness, Sir Stephen E. D'Souza who I don't know if he's working right now. Yeah, I don't know either. But that's a guy who wrote Die Hard. He wrote Commando. What else did Steven... Did he write... Uh, Street Fighter? Street Fighter, Last <laughs> Action Hero. Oh, you're not helping my case there. 
<laughs> but I mean, Stephen E. D'Souza, or, you know, if you want to get an action director, John Woo. John Woo, again, I said it before, the guy can still do an action movie. What if it's a team up between two people that have somehow never worked together? And it's exciting, not just from the star, but also from the creative people working on it. And it's like, oh, hey, these people have never teamed up before. Make it a movie. Make it short. Use the resources you have to do something that's actually could be good instead of an eight hour fucking slog that feels like a dentist appointment. This show had such boomer energy. It was prudish. It was bitter. It just wanted all the other characters except for Arnold to stop eating so much avocado toast. Like it just, (laughs) it was, it, it was like your worst Thanksgiving. Yeah. But also, yeah, eight hours. Yeah, it's your worst Thanksgiving. Question the, the question the second. Yeah. Is this a good Arnold experience? And it, mm. it, it tries. It really tries to be like, we're going to give him some quips. We're going to have him be a badass. We're going to have him be lovable and funny. But he's not badass and not funny and not very lovable. All of the things that you want out of an Arnold, you just don't get here. This is low effort trash. This, like you said, even by Netflix standards, this is hard. I would have tapped out so early on if I wasn't obligated to watch the whole thing for a podcast. I got four minutes in before I thought, why? Why did I agree to this? (laughs) This Dave Carroll, we thank you for for going through it because, yeah. This is, it's a stale, crappy movie that is full of parts that you've seen done better in other better movies and every time it has a little homage it makes you wish you were watching that other thing that was good instead of this cheap microwaved casserole of garbage that this is this is just this was a fucking chore i've got to say and the worst thing is it isn't even absurd macho bullshit it's like it's like stale macho bullshit. Mm-hmm. When you talk about wanting to watch the other thing that it references, the girl who plays Emma was basically a cameo in uh, Top Gun Maverick. I just wanted to watch Maverick. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, she can be better. You know, Jay Baruchel can be better. Arnold has always been better. Arnold is some of the best action movies of all time. Total Recall, Predator, Terminator 2. These things are fucking classics. And Arnold's good in it. There's like a bit in in True Lies. When in the middle of a gunfight, Arnold steps on a board, which flips a machine gun up into his hands and he shoots like three guys. Nice. Even one move, one one <laughs> moment like that in this movie would have been incredible. Even just little things where he just like dangles down like Spider Man, snaps a dude's neck, and then pops back up the top of the screen. He can be great. I know he can't do all that physical stuff, but he can do one. He can do a couple of those things still, and you just have to find the stuff that he can do. And this thing is so fucking lazy. <laughs> yes, for sure. Oh my god. Okay, I mean, obviously we're all in consensus here. No, this is not a good Arnold movie. And I'm going to tell you the the most devastating thing you've ever heard. The easiest way to fix this, aside from everything we've talked about, including making it a new movie, write Arnold out of it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. It's better without him there. That's that's hard. Because then you make Alden the main character. You've got live action Archer. I'd watch that. Yeah. Hmm. That's immediately better. And I love Arnold. That's hard. That's a a bitter pill. Yep. (laughs) Sorry. Oh, oh, oh. 
I want to thank you guys well, for wait, joining wait, us. Da- well, we can still ask Dave. Nope. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yes, oh, no. This is the best Arnold piece I've ever seen. This is a masterpiece. Get out. This is a walk home. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. This is, this, it, it is, like you said, Mike, it's painful to watch. And honestly, like, I, I should have gone first because Carol had the perfect moment. So I apologize for not well, le- you know what? You go now. They'll just reverse it Please, in editing. Yeah, yeah. Cut out Carol. Put her at the end. Anyway. But no. I'll, no. And yeah, it, it's sad to watch. Watch and it's just on top of like is it's better it, just cut them out of it and that makes it a better show that is painful the other thing is like i have no interest in seeing the next arnold thing i am now like completely burned out on and i didn't even watch there was that other new one that you guys watched that was just so painful what was that it was it you was gotta narrow it down <laughs> it was it was a post post governor uh, piece was it sabotage or something? That, yeah, that was sabotage. Right. That, yeah. Which is which is Ooh. was bad for all sorts of reasons, and a lot of the same reasons about being like trying Arnold try to recapture this this uh, action movie spirit with with all this toxic masculinity bullshit. But at least in that one, it had a tone. Yeah. <laughs> the tone was, it had the a tone visual was, they're style. All, they're all it assholes. was only two hours. David Ayer can it make he makes a shitty movie, but he makes a movie. Right. And, Actual human being. Yeah. Yeah. And and so yeah, it's like. No, I haven't even seen that. This alone, Fubar alone, makes me just like, Ugh, maybe I'm done with Arnold. Maybe I'm done watching. You know, when I see the next thing come out, maybe I'm not. I've, go s- watch I've it. said now, that's it. a devastating truth. <laughs> I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Everything that Arnold does, it gets worse. If this is the most recent thing that Arnold has done, it is the worst thing that he's done. And unfortunately, we we're gonna, we have to cut off the we have to cut the show off at a certain point in time where we say we're just not going to talk about. Quit that. now. Season two's not yeah, out it, yet. You're just right. Quit it now. might just be season two, and we're going to be like, we can't. Oh, I'm praying do for it another anymore. strike. <laughs> Come on. I, I'll I'll set up for another pandemic if it kills the show. <laughs> hey, hey, if AI really wants to end the show, they can start another. Become Skynet. They can start nuclear winter. Okay. Then what we if won't... this is Skynet? <laughs> oh God! If this is the future of television? Oh my God! The Terminator is true. They went after Arnold. <laughs> it's just gonna just instead of firing nukes all over the world, it just destroys television. It sent Gabriel Luna back to ruin Arnold's career. <laughs> if the second season is just the fact that AI made the first season to ruin Arnold but it turns out it's a Terminator thing my favorite thing ever <laughs> this is very easy to rewrite <laughs> uh, I want to thank you guys this was a lot easier to deal with with yeah. you guys' presence we, um, sh- we shared the pain and in doing so we came closer yeah Carol and Dave Brulette uh, from the late Hands Free Football Podcast we want to thank you so much for being here thank you guys uh, Carol actually might have an announcement Oh, oh, is this my new podcast? Oh, yes, it is. I may or may not be on another podcast soon. Um, Garden Sphere, which is the garden center in Tacoma that I work at now, is going to be launching a podcast. We're probably going to start recording by the end of January. I don't know if I'm a co-host or a producer, so you may or may not hear a lot of me, but it will have my style all over it. Awesome. Excellent. Thank you guys so much. And a big special thank you to our episode sponsors. We're talking about Larry Brunswick, Margaret King, Tim Batson, Dan Neidecker, Zuri Russell, Sterling Taylor, Misa the Barbarian, Jem Newman, Carol and Dave Brulette. Hey, hey that's you. Uh, Kelzone, Matt Weber, Kaylin, Jeff Nathan, Christopher Allen McDowell Horn, B. Campbell, Splurbs, and an interested party. Thank you guys so much. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Thank you, everybody.
If you want to become an episode sponsor, please go to our website, patreon.com slash radio versus the Martians, or go to our website, podcastalavistababy.com. Click the big red button on the right. If you're on your phone, it'll be at the bottom. But otherwise, folks, we will catch you next month. Podcast de la Vista Baby is a production of Radio vs. the Martians and is hosted by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. This podcast is recorded in beautiful Val Verde in Seattle, Washington. Our chief engineer is Casey Doran and our editor is Mike Gillis. Our original theme music was written and performed by James Wetzel with opening narration by Dan Lombardo. Special thanks to Sam Mulvey, Rob Kelly, James Wetzel, Paul Rue, Tobias Panshin, Scott Kramer, Kyle Hepworth, and Dan Lombardo. Please take the time to rate and review our show on iTunes and Stitcher, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please consider becoming one of our Patreon subscribers. Even just a dollar a month gives you access to exclusive episodes. And finally, you can find us online at podcastalavistababy.com and radioversusthemartians.com. How can a woman that was married to a guy like me date such a schmuck? Tally also has a temper. She find out we spying on her boyfriend. I'm selling your Austrian butt down river. I was never here. You're just trying to protect the family. We know nothing about this guy. He could be a creep. And what if he's a creep that wants to harm Tally? Okay. Let's KGB him. Hey, Oscar. What's up, kid? Why is my son calling this schmuck? He's investing in my son's stupid app. I mean, this guy is dumber than I thought he is. He's not dumb. He's scoring brownie points for Mrs. B. He's trying to cockcode me. That's definitely not what I was saying. Well, he's trying to use my son to cockcode me. I don't think that means what you think it means. Well, it comes from the cuckoo bird. But one bird takes over another bird's family. There are a thousand online videos that would definitely disagree with you. Okay. See you at family dinner tonight? I wasn't even invited to the dinner. I mean, he's trying to replace me. He's cock the entire family. Please stop saying that.